The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Good morning, church family. So good to be here with you. Celebrate baptisms if you were here um, and saw the pictures or were able to come earlier. What, a, what an amazing thing, isn't it, to see people um, take that step of obedience in baptism. So it's been a great morning of worship together already today. Hey, question for you as we get started this morning, and this is an answer that will be different for every one of us. What is the most radical act of generosity that's ever been expressed to you? where you've been on the receiving end of someone being generous towards you. And the answer, I'm sure, would be different for every single one of us. Maybe for some of us, it's there was a time in our life where we were in need of a place to live and someone opened up a house or opened up their own home and allowed you to stay there and provided for you in a very physical and tangible way. Maybe for you, there was a time in your life where finances were just extremely, extremely tight and someone just felt moved to be generous and to give something to you that was completely unexpected, not like I worked and they gave me my paycheck, right? But just above and beyond, just generous that that was shown towards you. I know for, for myself and actually for my wife, it's interesting in both of our stories, for us, it was, for both of us, while we were in grad, in grad school, each of us, this is years apart, by the way, independently, both actually had radical acts of generosity towards us that allowed us to complete graduate school with no debt. And I remember just the amazing feeling that it was. So think back to what that, what that action was, what that was, and then think back to how it made you feel. Just the thankfulness, the gratitude that, that was exuded in your heart because someone was moved in generosity towards you. See, this morning we are finishing up this series that we've called Rhythms of Life, looking at different habits, regular practices that Christians should be practicing in their lives to live into this fullness of life, the abundant life that God promised for us as followers of Jesus. And today we're going to wrap up this series by talking about the rhythm of giving, the rhythm of giving. Now, perhaps for some of you, when you think of regular rhythms or regular habits in your life, giving of your money is not one of those things that comes up on the list of, yes, of course, this is a regular routine practice in the life of a Christian. But I think, and I think we're going to see this as we walk through the text this morning, that practicing this rhythm in our lives can have a profound impact on our own spiritual growth and on our own spiritual life. That if you start to, if you haven't before, if you start to live into and practice this rhythm, that God can use it in your own life in a profound and an incredible way. Now, for some of you, we are two minutes into the message this morning and you're already upset. You're like, all the church does is talk about money. And I guess if this is your first Sunday ever at Morgan Hill Bible Church, I guess it's true, right? Because this is the first time you've ever been here. So, but th- this, is not, this is not all we talk about. Um, and I think that the reality is, though, that why, why do some of us feel that way? Why is that out there? I think because so often in the church world, pastors in their communication over finances have gotten it wrong. And churches have given wrong messages about what the Bible says about money and what it means to give back to God. And for the majority, I think it's kind of, it often falls into two camps. 
On the one side, you see those who you could call prosperity preachers, right? These are the kinds you'll see them late night on TV when you're flipping through the channels. And they're like, hey, if you send me X amount of gifts, if you send me this amount of money, you will be blessed by God with this in return, right? And you've seen that and you're sitting there, you're like, listen, if every person who actually sent you $100 got $500 back in return, like you'd be the richest person in the world and all of us would be a lot more wealthy, right? Because we'd be like, that's a pretty good investment strategy. Like let's, let's go in, but you can see right through it and you're like, yeah, that's, that's not what the Bible actually says, It's not like this, you give to God, he guarantees this back to you. And so you just give knowing you'll receive. But so often that teaching has gone out in certain fashions and in certain ways. And and it's put off a lot of us because it's not what the Bible teaches about how we should handle money or giving. On the other side from prosperity is what I would call legalistic teaching about money. Legalistic teaching about money. And, that, and in those areas, maybe the practice that has been preached has been right, that you should give of your finances to God. But the motivations behind it haven't been what the gospel teaches, what we're gonna see this morning. But it's basically like, this is what you owe. This is what you have to do if you're going to be a part of this church. This is what you need to do. And so people give because they see someone up front telling them this is what you have to do. And our motive is out of guilt and shame. Because we're like, if someone finds out what I do or don't do, or I'm going to be shamed, publicly called out if I'm not contributing the right amount that they say up front. And so maybe we're giving or we have given in the past, but it's been out of this pressure that I have to do this. This is a guilt-motivated practice in my life. And I think that the Bible, and we're going to look at a passage this morning, has a better way. And in between for both of those. And if you've been one of those who's been hurt by the church on these matters before, just a reminder that, that yes, the church has mishandled it, but that doesn't mean that it's not important either. And so, yes, some have, but it is an important thing to God. And when you look at scripture, if you were to read it all the way through, the Bible actually does talk a lot about money and about possessions and about giving it back to God. If you go back to the Old Testament, to the beginning of the Bible, you'll see very early on in the book of Genesis, this idea of a tithe or giving of 10% back to God. This is practiced at separate times, both by Abraham and by Jacob. They give 10% back to God. It's commanded to Israel to observe this tithe in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. One of the major sections of the prophet Malachi is him calling out Israel for their lack of following this and the consequences that they are facing because of them not obeying God in this command. Now, in the New Testament, in this new covenant relationship that we have with God, believers are not commanded to tithe. There's no verse, you know, in this passage, thou shalt give 10% of all thy money to God. Now, some of you before you breathe a sigh of relief and think, oh good, God doesn't want my money anymore. It's all mine. Ah, I'm so glad. The expectation that the New Testament puts forward in the life of the Christian, of the life of the follower of Jesus, is generosity. Generosity. And tithing is not necessarily a bad practice. And for a lot of us, maybe that's a good target line or a benchmark to get to. There's nothing inherently wrong with making it a goal or setting aside 10% of our income. But sometimes the, the, the problem is when we think of tithing is it is we can be like, okay, I've given God 10%. Now the rest is mine and I get to do with it whatever I want. And that starts to show just this place that money has in our hearts. Even if we tithe, but this is my money now that I get to do what I want with it. 
If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open them to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9, we're going to be in this text together this morning. And my hope is, is as we walk through this passage this morning, that we will see together that because of God's generosity towards us, generosity is the expected attitude and lifestyle of the believer. Let me say that again, because of God's generosity towards you and towards me, generosity is the expected attitude and lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. And in this passage this morning, we're gonna look at three reasons that every Christian, or three reasons that Christians should practice generosity. Our passage starts in verse six. It says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The first reason that Christians should practice generosity is that generous giving is a matter of the heart. Generous giving is a matter of the heart. What I mean by that is it's a reflection of our values, of what God has done within us. It, it shows where we place our worth. He, he starts off this passage in verse six with a basic principle. If you sow a little, you will reap a little versus if you sow a lot, you will reap a lot. It's an agricultural illustration. They would have very easily understood. Saying this, hey, if you go out to your field and you just toss a little bit of seed in one corner and then you water the whole field and you come back and at the harvest time, it's only a little bit's grown over here. You can't be mad at the rest of the field. Why? Because you didn't throw seed on it. And saying it's a similar principle. When we are stingy, we cannot expect a lot back from God because we have withheld and held onto it ourselves. And then he talks about in verse seven, that we should give as been decided, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. That idea of love there is not meaning like he hates those who don't give cheerfully, but it's this idea of approve. This is what God is seeking after from us, is that we would give cheerfully. And before he gets that, he gives us these two negative commands, right? Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Reluctantly or under compulsion. A reluctant giver holds on to their money, looks at it, and is like, I could probably do something better with this myself. I really am not excited about this. I have no desire to actually do this, but okay, here you go. Right? There's no enthusiasm. There's no joy. It's reluctant. It's hesitant holding on to resources. It's under compulsion, meaning this, that, that so often people will give because, like we talked about, they feel like they have to. And that's their motive. Well, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do this. There's shame behind it. I'm, I'm feeling compelled, like I have to give to something. So that's my motivation in doing this. God's saying, no, those should not be your motivations in giving back to him. What does reluctant and compulsory giving look like? Well, I don't know about you, but I practice this basically every year when I go to pay my taxes. <laughs> right? Is anyone else just, when you prepare your taxes, the joy of the Lord just fills your heart with such excitement at the amount of money that you get to give back to our federal government? Now, does that, of course, doesn't mean you should cheat your taxes and not do it all. Of course you should do them, right? And for me, my goal is always, you know, like you want to get it close. You maybe get a little bit back or have to pay. We moved across the country, different jobs this year. And I remember when I went to compile ours early in, I think it was late in January, early in February this year, it was one of those where I looked and I'm like, 
the federal government's going to be really happy with me this year when I file taxes. Right? Like, it's not the other way around. And so out of the joy and enthusiasm of my heart, did I file my taxes, like, on opening day? I waited till the very last day. Right? I waited till April. Okay, this is the last day. Fine. Here you go. Here's my money, government. You can have it. There was no joy. There was no celebration. But it's like, I have to do this. I'm legally have to. Here you go. Right? For some of us, this is our attitude towards giving to God. I don't really want to but I feel like I have to. I feel like I'm cornered into this box, so okay, God, I'll give you some of my money. Contrasted with this is the cheerful giver. The cheerful giver. And what Paul is doing in this passage is helping us see that in giving, the heart behind our giving matters more than the size of our gift. The heart behind our giving matters more than the size of our gift. For some people, giving of $100 out of their amount may be an extravagantly generous, moving, and cheerful expression of generosity towards others and towards the church. Well, for some, they wouldn't even think about writing a check for $2,000, $5,000. It doesn't impact them in any way, and they don't really care. They just feel like, well, I guess this is what I should do, and they do it. But what's different is the heart behind it. And that's something that only God can see within you. The God cares more about the heart behind it rather than how much it is. And this has always been true. If you look back to Deuteronomy chapter 15, in the Old Testament, it says this, you shall give, this is to God, you shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give it to God because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. See, there's this basic thing when it comes to how we spend our money, that it is a joy for us to spend money on the things that we love. We, we enjoy spending money on the things that we love, right? Think of it, how many of you, like me, are like, oh, yes, I get to go get my oil changed in my car? Yeah, I didn't think so, right? Like, that's not a joyous occasion. And we're like, all right, here, take my money. I know I have to do this, but it's just something that I have to do. Versus if you took that same amount of money and went shopping, or you went and bought new golf clubs or whatever your hobby is, same amount of money, but one, you really enjoy spending money on because it's something that you love, right? Your water heater goes out and you gotta drop a couple thousand dollars on your water heater. No one's like, yes, fantastic. But if you take that same amount of money and put it towards a family vacation so you can go somewhere with your family and create memories and bond together, you're glad to spend that money because it's something you love and enjoy and look forward to. So you think of, the most generous thing that you've ever done towards someone else, the radical expression of generosity from you. And I'm guessing that it's someone that you love that you are generous to. Right? You're probably not gonna go downtown to Morgan Hill this afternoon and try and find a teenager and corner them and say, hey, I wanna pay for your college. Right? They'd be like, who are you? I don't know you, like, get away from me. Right? But maybe you would do that for your kids or your grandkids. And a radical expression of generosity. Why? Because it's motivated by love. See, our attitude towards money and giving is a reflection of our heart and what we love. Our attitude towards money is a reflection of our heart. God is not so concerned with your money. God is much more concerned with your heart. And that's why he cares about money, because it's a mirror of what we value. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your value, where your focus is, if it's on money, that's ultimately where your heart will 
be. So how do we know what kind of giver we are? If you give regularly, how, how do we know? Am I a reluctant, a compulsory giver, or do I give cheerfully? To me, a helpful question is this. When you think about giving your money away, specifically giving it to church or some faith-based thing, is the question in your mind, how much do I have to give or how much can I give? How much do I feel like I need to or have to give versus how much can I give? How much am I allowed? How much am I able to bless because of what God has blessed me with? Is it a have to or a get to attitude? It's a subtle thing, this matter of the heart. But he starts off right away. God loves and approves of a cheerful giver, not because we feel like we have to or because we're under compulsion. And so generous giving reflects our hearts and where our posture is towards God. The passage continues in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." See, the second reason that Christians should practice generosity is generous giving reflects God's generosity. Generous giving reflects God's generosity towards us. I love how he starts there in that verse, in verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, including the material blessings that he's given us and the motivation to give it away, to be generous towards others. And God is able, it says, so that we could be all sufficient, we can be content in all things, that we may abound in every good work. Notice what he says there in verse 10. Why does God give us more? Why does he increase what we have so that we could multiply our seed for sowing? God blesses those who are generous so that they may increase their generosity towards others. See, too often... When we are blessed financially, when we come into a raise or a promotion at work, what we first think of is how to raise our standard of living, right? We think of the new car we could buy. We think of the house project we could do. We think of the new place we could go on vacation. None of those are sinful or wrong. But so often we think of raising our standard of living instead of how through this would God want to raise my standard of giving. How could God use what I have been now blessed with? Actually, how can I use this to bless others even more? Because God has blessed me even more. So often we look just inwards at ourselves. See, one of the reasons why this rhythm of giving is so important for us is the goal of the Christian life. If you're a follower of Jesus, the goal of the Christian life is to day by day become more like Jesus. Right? We want today and tomorrow that we would become more and more like our Savior. We want to be an accurate reflection of who he is. And when we look at Scripture, you must be convinced that our God is a generous God. That God is a generous God towards us. God sent his son. In financial terms, it's, it's used, and we even sang about it this morning, that the debt that we owed him was unpayable. We could never come up with the amount of money, but God sent his son to pay the debt for us that we could never pay. He died on the cross for our sin. What did God withhold from you for your salvation? 
nothing. He sent his one and only son to die for you and to die for me. As we sang, Jesus paid it all, all to him now I owe. See, a reluctance to give generously shows a refusal in our lives to actually trust that God is all sufficient and all gracious to us. Refusal to be generous is saying, now, no, we, we won't say that because we're good church people. And so we know with our lips, we never say, yeah, I don't actually trust God with everything. No, of course. We, oh yeah, I trust God with everything. But a refusal to be generous towards others, a refusal to give generously is living out a lifestyle of saying, yeah, I may say that with my mouth, but that's not actually how I live. Because I don't actually trust what this verse is saying is true, that God is actually able to make all grace abound, that he will be all sufficient in my life, that he can meet every need of mine. See, God is a generous God. And because God is a generous God, he calls on us as his people to be generous to others and be generous ourselves. See, there's a thing that we love to tell ourselves, and we're all guilty of this, I think, is that, hey, all right, I get it. We should be generous towards others. God's generous towards me. Okay, but here's the thing. Um, when I make more, I'll be generous. All right, like, have you seen inflation? Have you seen the stock market? Now is not the time to be stepping into giving my money away. When there's that promotion coming, there's the raise, you know, so give me five, 10, 15 years and I'll work into this whole, you know, generosity thing in the future when I get there. Studies follow people and the amount of money they give away. Did you know that the more people make, the lower percentage they give away? The more money that you have, the lower percentage. Now, the dollar amount may increase, but the lower percentage people give away. The average Christian in the U.S. gives away $17 a week. $17 a week, an average of $884 a year. In fact, when you look at it percentagely, percentages. Right now in the U.S., the average U.S. Christian gives 2.5% of their income away. To put this into perspective, in the Great Depression era of 90 years ago, it was 3.3%. People in the worst economic situation in our country were far more generous than the average U.S. Christian today. And too often we put off excuses and say, well, I'll be generous, and we just push it off, right? Well, when this happens, when this happens, and if that's our attitude, we'll push it off for the rest of our lives. When we get how generous God has been towards us, his generosity will well up in our hearts that we need to respond in generosity to him. So how do we know if our giving reflects God's generosity? One way to know is to ask yourself, is your giving occasional, just on like, oh, once in a while I'll throw some money to something? Or is your giving regular and intentional? See, God's generosity towards us is not occasional, it's not like if God wakes up on a good day, he'll be generous towards us. It is regular and intentional. It is his heart towards us. And to reflect God's generosity, it's not, hey, well, once in a while, I'll give something, but to make it a core part of who we are, of our lifestyle of being generous towards others. Another way to think about if our giving reflects God's generosity is do we give from the leftovers that we have or is our giving the first priority in our lives? See, some of us, we give of our leftovers. So we like tabulate the month, all right, this is rent or our mortgage. This is our car payment. This is the grocery bill. This is the eating out. We kind of, this is gas. Ooh, that's a lot of money, right? Like we, we go through all these different things and we're like, oh, this is the amount of money I have left now that I can give to the church. We give of our leftovers, whatever we have left. Or do we set aside right at the beginning and say, nope, 
this is what I want in my heart to cheerfully be generous and give back to God because of what he's blessed me with. And I'll adjust the rest around what I want to be generous towards him for. God is a generous God to us. And he calls us to be generous in response. Verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The third reason Christians should be generous is generous giving has an eternal impact. Generous giving has an eternal impact. I love how this passage ends. Like, thanks be to God for his, not your financial gift, but his inexpressible gift of Jesus, the most generous gift ever given. But notice what he highlights in the effect of their giving. This would be going back to the Jerusalem church is what he's talking about here. Look at, he highlights what their giving accomplishes. Not only is it meeting the needs, it's meeting the physical needs of the people, but as a response of receiving it, they are giving thanksgiving and glory to God. That their giving is actually causing others to bear spiritual fruit that has an eternal and a significant impact for eternity because of their generosity. See, anyone who's smart with their money is looking for a good return on any investment, right? If you were to meet with someone, they're like, all right, here's these two funds. This one gets 20% every year. This one gets two. None of us are like, give me the 2%. That's what I want, right? No, we all want to have a bigger return on our money. And when it comes to investing our money, what better than to, to use it on things that will have an impact for eternity, not just now, not just for retirement, not just to pass on someday. Those are not bad things. You should save, you should have a retirement plan. But what better way than to spend our money, to give our money to things that'll impact not just this world, but eternity. Jesus said this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Two sobering reminders for you this morning. Number one, unless Jesus comes back, we will all die. And number two, you're not taking anything with you. Life is short and we don't take any of it with us. But for some of us, we act like we're going to live forever and everything we make and buy, we get to bring that with us along the way. And it skews our perspective on money because we're so focused on the immediate, on now, and on what I want with my money. See, but when we are generous, when we invest our money in God's work, it goes beyond this world this time. It has an eternal impact. See, why should we be generous towards his work? Why should we invest in the work that the church is doing here and throughout the world? Well, I didn't come up with the phrase, but I love it. It's been said many times before. Well, why should you invest in the church, give of your finances to it? The church is God's plan A for the world. He doesn't have a plan B. 
There's no backup like, hey, if the church thing doesn't work out, this is what I'm gonna do. No, God said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. God is in the, build, the business of building his church here and around the world. And what better way, what better use of our money than to partner with what God has promised will succeed and will last into eternity than to partner with him in what he's doing in the local church. So our money can have a profound impact on others when we are generous with it. But not only that, through generosity and giving it away, it can have a profound impact on our own lives as well. Generous giving not only blesses others, it grows your spiritual life as well. See, amongst the many idols in our world, and I'm just talking about like little figurines that you would bow down to, but I'm talking about things that would go in our hearts that push God to the side, that say, no, you need to find your worth, your value, your purpose in me. Amongst all the idols in our world, perhaps the most prominent for all of human history has been the idol of money. It makes all the promises that God makes. I'll bring you success. I'll bring you purpose. I'll bring you meeting. I'll bring you satisfaction. If you focus on sending your attention and worship me, that's what will bring it. And so often our lives revolve around allowing money to come in and it pushes God off of the center of our lives. It's why Paul warned in 1 Timothy 6, he says this, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Or as Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What Jesus is saying here is that if you love God, that you cannot serve money. Right, get this. He's saying you will not just, it's not like, hey, if you if you love if you love money, then you can still kind of love God and it gets long. No, if you love God, with excuse me, if you love money, what that means is that you're having a harsh relationship towards God. Notice the contrast there. The iPad's talking. Hey, would you be able to turn this off real quick? Sorry, it's it's hearing me talk. I'm losing my train of thought. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. I, apparently I said something wrong and it's correcting me over here. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. I'd rare that never happened before. I'm like, what is that voice that I'm hearing? What Jesus is saying, notice the contrast, love or hate, devoted or despise, one or the other. It's not, oh yeah, you can, you can serve money and also serve God at the same time. Those aren't really common. What he's saying, if your life is devoted to money, what, he's, what you're saying is you actually despise God. You've pushed him off of the center of your life. See, if we're not generous, it may be because we say we serve God, but we actually serve money. And that's the center focus of our lives. See, when it comes to the church and the giving of money, it obviously is a personal area for me, right? You're like, well, yeah, you, you get paid by the church. So of course you have to say this, right? But I want you to know there's no like special offering that's happening at the end here. There's no big announcement as like, this is what you now need to all sign up for and give your money. But there's none of that coming. Because I believe this firmly, that, that God has called every church and God has called this church to unique work that he's called us to in this season and that God will provide the financial means necessary to do it. I believe that. Whether it's you or someone else, if you don't give, God will raise it up in someone else's heart to join with the work that he has called us to do. God will provide for it. And so when it comes to giving, 
Who's missing out if you don't participate? If you're not generous, who misses out? It's not the church. It's you. You miss out on the blessings of how God can use your money to impact others. You miss out on seeing God show up over and over again in your life as you step out in generosity and you see God do things in your life that he would have never done elsewhere, except for you stepped out. And when I look around this room, I know there are many up here who could come and stand next to me and tell stories and stories of God's faithfulness in their lives as they stepped out in generosity, stepped out in faith and said, this is what we wanna do. And they saw God provide over and over in the spiritual growth that they experienced because they practiced this in their own life. I'm not up here because this is like some plea, please give more money to the church. No, I want this for you. Because so often money pushes God off of the place in our hearts. And if we're those who love Jesus with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, generosity has to be a part of our lives. So are we focused on this eternal impact? Are we focused with our money on ourselves? Think of this question, what if someone were to look at your last three to six months of financial statements? They were getting your credit card, your debit card, and they look at how you spent your money. Would they think, wow, you really care about eternal impact. You're focused on the church that has a high priority missions, what God is doing around the world. I can, I can clearly see that this matters to you. Or they look at it and say, yeah, you, you love to spend your money on fun things that you and your family enjoy doing. There's nothing wrong with that. But so often our focus is simply on earthly pleasures rather than how our resources can impact eternity. So the question for all of us this morning is what would it look like for us to take that next step in generosity in our lives. What does it look like if God is a generous God and calls us to be generous back, what does it look like just for us to take that next step? For some of you, maybe this is something you've never done before. And for the first time, you just need to start giving, to give a gift for the very first time, to take that step. For some, our giving, maybe we've done it before, but now it's just occasional. Like we do it once in a while, Maybe if we have enough money at the, at the end of the month, we'll give. Maybe some months are like, nope, it's, I don't want to give this month. It's just an irregular thing in our lives. Maybe for those of us who are like that, it starts to move towards intentional giving. That it's something that's planned and purposed beforehand. That it's not whatever we have left, but this is what I want to give. For some of us, maybe that's been how we have been doing it. That we've been giving regularly, but we haven't been, but, but we should be giving more but we're not moving towards generosity. So for some of us, maybe it's moving from giving some every month, some every week, to moving towards more generosity. Maybe for some of us, 10% is a goal that we need to work up to get to, to, to allow God to work in our lives. Maybe for some of you, that's been a habit, a routine already in your life of giving away of 10%. What would it look like even for you perhaps to be an extravagant giver? to give above and beyond and to see how God would bless and use you as he has so blessed you, to use and to see what God has blessed you to even go above and beyond, to extravagantly bless others, to bless his work that he has. See, we serve a generous God. He has not withheld anything from us, but has poured out his blessings, has sent his son to die for us. And so as a response to what God has done, he calls us to be generous back to him. God, we thank you. We thank you that you have not withheld your son, but you sent him 
to be the sacrifice for our sins. God, oftentimes when we talk about money, it's one of those idols in our hearts and it's hard and it's painful because it shows us what we just need to chip away at. And so I ask for all of us this morning that you would chip away at that idol that we've made of money in our lives. That you would put yourself back at the center on the throne of our hearts and that we would put money in its proper place. God, I pray that generosity would flow from our hearts, not because we feel like we have to or it's something we owe, but out of joy, out of cheer for what you've done in our lives and the difference that our giving can make for eternity. God, we thank you for your generosity to us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.